So good afternoon everyone. Uh, we're recording this in the second week back after the festive break, a time to reflect on what 2023 brought and what we can expect from 2024. Indeed, we have an early spring budget where the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt will present to Parliament and an expected general election along with the local elections in May. So an important time in the world of policy and most of all, net zero and climate policy. Moving on, I'd like to say welcome to our Tech UK podcast episode, Catalyzing Tech-Led Decarbonisation, where we explore how the net zero challenge and the role of technology in collaboration within this, as we stand at the intersection of innovation and sustainability, the role of technology in mitigating climate change has never been more paramount. In this episode, we'll navigate through the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead, examining how technology, strategic collaboration and forward thinking policy can propel us towards a more sustainable footing. It's a journey that demands our collective expertise, creativity and commitment. So without further ado, let's get started. So today I am joined by a stellar lineup of contributors. We have Anthony Levy, founder and chairman at Circularity First Group. Anthony, welcome. Thank you, Mia, and uh, hello, everyone. Yeah, so as, as Mia said, I started a group of companies uh, about 15 years ago that are purely specialised in focusing on how to help organisations reduce the impact of IT uh, when it comes down to sustainability and climate change. Um, obviously, we also help customers use technology to reduce their footprints as well. So really our, our, our business focuses on the reduction, um, both at a practical level and actually physically what you can do differently, but equally strategically helping organizations realize how they can do this in, in a way that doesn't cost them a lot of money um, and actually enhances their business as a whole. Thanks, Anthony. We also have Jess Green, External Affairs and Strategy Manager at Circular. So welcome, Jess. Hi Mia, hi everyone. Um, it's a real pleasure to be chatting with you today as as you said at such an important time and also about such an urgent topic. So yeah I'm Jessica Green, External Affairs and Strategy Manager for Circular and Circular are a global technology company that are bringing visibility, visibility, transparency and resilience to complex industrial supply chains and we do this through using technology um, to track supply chains uh, and track the materials in these supply chains as they change state um, and we as a business have a particular focus on the traceability of battery minerals and other products that will make the clean energy transition possible. Great to be here. Thanks Jess, great to have you here too. So I guess let's get started with kind of setting the scene uh, for the climate challenge for reaching net zero. The Climate Change Committee recently outlined barriers such as surface transport, energy use, industrial electrification, but also behavioural changes and cultural shifts, both across kind of wider society and government. Um, turning to you first, uh, Jess, what would you say are kind of the key challenges or barriers that we, we currently face towards achieving uh, the UK government's net zero ambition? Yeah, it's a great question and a, a kind of key topic of discussion, but I do want to start off by, say, by saying that, you know, some countries, industries, 
uh, and companies are making progress towards net zero. But I like what you said in your introduction about it being a journey and it really is a journey. And what we're seeing at the start of 2024 is that more collective and urgent action is really needed to cut emissions faster. And from the circular perspective, one of the key barriers and challenges really is this continued globalisation and mass production uh, of products. And this is a real issue, given that 80% of the emissions come from these global supply chains, meaning the products that we're buying come with very high footprints. So really, it requires companies to start getting visibility into their supply chains so that they can make informed decisions about where and how to cut the emissions that they inherit from their suppliers. And like you said in the introduction, this you know, requires collective action and collaboration. I think as consumers, uh, we have concerns about responsible sourcing and sustainability of the products we're buying. So really there is this opportunity for companies to take some responsibility and accountability in providing consumers, investors, regulators with this granular data to, to make informed decision making. I think also one of the other key challenges that we see in, in the UK, Europe and globally is with re recycling and, and remanufacturing. The capacity and the capabilities still need to increase to, to achieve kind of truly sustainable products and truly sustainable supply chains. It's critical that we are effectively and efficiently remanufacturing, reusing, recycling um, products and that there's investment into low carbon recycling processes. Thanks, Jess. Really useful points on uh, kind of efficiently remanufacturing, reusing and recycling, moving towards a more uh, sustainable and, and circular economy. Um, Anthony, if I could turn to you on, on kind of the, the same question. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I definitely echo um, some of Jess's points, particularly around remanufacturing and making sure that we're not only focusing on recycling. There seems to people thought people still talking about recycling as the answer. It's it's one way to close the loop, but it's certainly not the most efficient. But if, we, if I step back a little bit, and I definitely sit a little bit more in the kind of behavioural change camp, and certainly if we walk through the COP process, and there's a lot of mudslinging around whose problem is this? You know, whose responsibility? Mm -hmm is this for me i think we have to start with the who you know there's a lot of well it's not me i need government i need cop or i need some other process or something to happen to help me fix it and i think we've all got to actually take a little bit more ownership particularly leaders in organizations we've got to stop looking out and start looking in um i think your know, organizations need to own this and, and to jess's point there are some that are really leading the way you know people that have not just set goals but are really integrating strategy um the sustainability strategy into their core strategy and when you see that you actually see quite um big impacts happen very quickly so i think the first thing for me a big challenge is that with this this mindset of not me i think you've got, we've got to turn that on its head and actually take responsibility and start doing what we can and that's linked to the second part which is the how you know i think a lot of people think well, I, just, I don't know what to do i don't know i don't know how to decarbonize that's not in my skill set my wheelhouse if you like um and i think a lot of people are expecting big innovations to be the answers but if we look at the actual short to medium term goals, what we've got to do by 2030, so a 45 to 50 percent reduction in carbon emissions, we don't need new innovations to get there. Mm -hmm. We will need new innovations after that point. I'm not saying innovation isn't going to be important. It will be. But this next window, the most tangible window, sort of five to six year planning window, everything we need to do to sufficiently decarbonize to sort of that 50 percent extent is, is in front of us. And a lot of it's really common sense. 
So when I think about the how, I spend a lot of time, my time when I'm sitting in boardrooms and working with leaders talking about this, they're often quite surprised how simple some of the things they need to do are and how they reduce cost and, and how they actually enhance customer relationships and how they help engagement with their employees rather than all these things that people worry about. So I guess for me, the two big challenges are that making sure we recognize the who is all of us as, as leaders and the how is actually things that are out there in the public domain, things you can do now that aren't going to add cost or complexity to your organization. Thanks, Anthony. Uh, really useful points, um, definitely around kind of it's starting with us and also looking at the landscape of what we can uh, act on now and, and leveraging the resources we do have. I guess that's a really useful segue onto uh, the next kind of question around uh, the UK government and international leadership, given that they do give uh, kind of that leading voice and set the scene for the policy that, that impacts uh, industry and the tech sector. So obviously back in September uh, 2023, we saw uh, the current UK government push back on some of the medium targets with uh, some ambitious uh, reduction targets coming up uh, in 2030 and 2050 fast approaching. Um, I guess coming back to you, Anthony, what would you like to see the UK government and even kind of moving further afield to international leaders kind of dial up the action on? Is it around kind of more clear and consistent policies or incentives for innovation? Okay, thank you. Um, well, obviously, it, for someone who's passionate in this space, and I know we're all very passionate in this space, it obviously was disappointing to see kind of government take what is quite clearly a step back from, from certain ambitions. Um, but I think they're reflecting something that a lot of societies is this pressure around cost. We worry about cost. We think becoming more sustainable is going to cost us money, which is some, something that actually I fundamentally disagree with, because so much of sustainability is around efficiency. And if you become more efficient, you typically save money. But, but you know, putting that aside, I think there's sort of three areas I think government could do that would make quite a big difference. Um, three Ps, if you like. The first thing is, is, is linked to my previous point around a lot of the innovations that we need are are already here. So governments have a wonderful position that they can promote what already exists uh, and that can help them from a political point of view. Look, look what we're already doing, but it also helps society have confidence and put trust in things. Um, it's not a perfect example. We talk about heat pumps. So the government's done a great job of incentivizing heat pumps. Mm -hmm. They've not done a great job of people feeling confident that heat pumps will sufficiently heat their home. So we're going back to we've got to get back to trusting science somehow. How can we like how can the government help us trust the science and promote the solutions? And mm -hmm. um, I think yeah, we've got to recognize that you know, organizations have got a lot of responsibility here. Um, and, and obviously organizations are largely driven by profit. So the government's obviously got plenty of things they can do with incentives and disincentives to, 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 to try and accelerate that journey if they want to. So obviously they could remove VAT or things like that on certain sustainable solutions, or, or they can actually add add, add taxes or, 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 or duties to things that are less efficient. So there's a big, a simple set of roles here that, that allows them to balance the equation without it costing anyone money, but just incentivize the right behavior and disincentivize the other. We can discuss whether politically our, our current government would, would, would be ambitious in that space or not. But I guess the final bit is, 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 is the pressure piece. And I think most organizations are feeling the pressure now, no matter what. So, you know, 
yeah, if you're a, a, a CEO of, of a large organization, your employees are telling you you need to become more sustainable. Certainly the good employees you want to attract are telling you that. Your customers, as, as, as we've talked about, are telling you that. They, they will choose products that, that are demonstrably more, more sustainable. And even your investors, and whether that's government public funding or whether that's um, private funding, the, the pressure is there to, to, to go on this journey. I think the further step the government could do if it was really ambitious is to be bold enough to actually um, increase the accountability on false claims, which was, we're seeing happening in Europe, but we don't really see happening very much here in the UK. We could we could do some naming and shaming of organisations that haven't set any goals for reduction, you know, haven't set a, a net zero goal or haven't done those kind of things. We, we could turn up the volume there. And I think governments have a really easy role that they could play there if they wanted to but but again it comes down to to, to, to the politics so for me i guess we those three things promotion profit and, and sort of other types of pressure which is to accelerate this journey that we are already on thanks anthony yeah definitely uh useful to have those three p's from here at tech uk uh last summer we released our uk tech plan uh, outlining key incentives to drive investment in net zero, uh, definitely aligning with uh, your ideas around promotion, uh, incentives and the right uh, pressure for industry uh, to drive forward net zero. And we'll also be looking at key policies and regulation ahead of the spring uh, budget. Turning to you, Jess, with the same question. Yeah, and just to really echo kind of your points, Similarly, we did see it as a step back towards the transition to clean energy technologies, and it gives signals to consumers around concerns to transitioning to electric vehicles and, and clean energy technologies, which we, we know and understand as essential for, uh, for, for net zero. I would also kind of focus on kind of three phases rather than buckets around how policymakers can do this. And I think the first one really is on clarity around the reporting and the, and the monitoring requirements. And really, we see this as it, it, essential that it's continuous. It's not just point in time monitoring of the performance of products or companies. Continuously uh, monitoring and having that continuous accountability is, is, is um, kind of the first uh, expectation or, or or a requirement and it, it, it needs to be really granular data on the embedded emissions because that's where real change can be made where you can pinpoint within supply chains where particular concerns are um, and also like I said making that uh, data available to consumers so that we can make informed decisions on our purchasing and you know pioneering companies are already doing this and 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 like we've discussed are seeing improvements to their bottom line are seeing improvements to operational efficiency from this but collective action with clear requirements on the reporting and monitoring across all industries and if we look to some of the european policies uh, particularly at the, the beginning of uh, the transitional phase of cbam so the carbon border adjustment mechanism which began the 1st of october this will require uh, importers of covered products, products like cement, uh, iron and steel, aluminium, hydrogen, electricity, to actually calculate, monitor and report on the emissions of mm -hmm. products they're importing. And this is a great example uh, and stepping stone into this continuous reporting and monitoring of, of, embedded, of embedded emissions. And importantly, it really has to be embedded. So it has to include both the direct and indirect emissions that are being inherited, not looking at those separately 
although the solutions for, for those are separate, how organisations go about tackling them, but also making sure that we're looking kind of holistically across the supply chains. And I think come on to the second phase there is really that policymakers have a role, not just setting the reporting requirements, but also helping and supporting industry with the digital solutions and the funding uh, for companies to achieve these targets that they set out. And I think this is really important. And we're seeing signals of that um, in Europe with some of the innovation fund calls that are, have been announced at the end of last year. So also seeing some of these grant incentives in the UK would be uh, very helpful. And hopefully, from a batteries perspective, we will see that from the, the plan that was announced um, last, last year. And then I think the final phase there really is on, you know, setting the targets. It, it gives the direction, but clarity, clarity really is needed on the ramifications for non-compliance. You know, to the point around green claims, what, what are the repercussions for greenwashing and mm -hmm. or, or non-compliance with these regulations? And I think that's really a space where we, we are not seeing real clarity that will drive the changes that we need within the organisations. Thanks, Jess. Yeah, definitely on your final point uh, around um, the green claims, that is something that we at Tech UK hear a lot uh, from our members. I guess uh, segueing into something that you just mentioned, Jess, um, so obviously kind of scope three visibility reporting and, and scope three emissions is uh, kind of a minefield in itself. A reminder uh, for those listening that the greenhouse gas protocol classifies uh, companies emissions into three scopes and scope three being all kind of the indirect emissions not included in scope two that occur in the value chain of the reporting company. Uh, recently, the government launched a call for evidence kind of seeking views on this. Um, but from your uh, kind of organisation perspective, what is the role of, of technology, of data to help address scope three emissions, kind of working with suppliers and customers? Um, Jess? Yeah, and I think we can probably all agree that tech technology plays a key uh, role and an enabling role in addressing scope three admissions. And if we think about organisations and their supply chains, these are really global. So getting uh, to grips and getting your arms around some of these supply chains, it requires new ways of working and new technologies to help help us achieve that. And the advancements that we see in technology today uh, enable companies to gain this visibility, enabling them to track their supply chains and calculate the emissions, uh, the carbon footprints of their own operations, but also of their supply chains in the most efficient and accurate way possible. And it, you know, it just wasn't possible without technology mm -hmm. five years ago. We you know we see kind of six, only six percent of organisations know their tier twos, and, and, and very you know much lower number beyond that. So really, the visibility uh, through that technology can enable is, is a key uh, starting point. And looking again at Europe and the batteries, which is obviously where circular are very focused. The EU battery regulation, which uh, was finally enacted um, last year, requires this level of uh, traceability and transparency of uh, the emissions that are inherited and uh, requires organisations to have this proof before placing batteries onto the European marketplace. First of all, companies have to get the visibility and declare the carbon footprint, but over mm -hmm. time they will have to set themselves within performance categories, 
and then over time again come, coming below thresholds. So we see policy understanding the need for transparency into into carbon footprints to really give access to markets and, and for companies to remain competitive. Mm -hmm. um, and also tech solutions can be implemented which will help organisations engage with their supply chains. Um, these are global supply chains include many, many suppliers um, without having to do the additional manual effort that kind of worries or concerns organisations around starting on this journey. You know, technology exists today that, that helps with this effort. Thanks, Jess. Anthony, turning to you on, on kind of the role of data and technology in emissions reduction, which is obviously a key uh, area of reaching net zero my, my, my first point and I, I have to be careful with this because I, I know different people have different perspectives but you know the analogy i use is that we're we're driving a car very quickly towards a cliff edge yep um the role of data is to tell us how fast we're going and what happens mm -hmm. when we when, when we're applying the brakes are we slowing down yeah my opinion is you know do we need to know if we're going either 80 or 90 miles an hour towards that cliff edge when we know that cliff edge is coming fast possibly not. We do need to know when we apply the brakes that it's actually working. So that there is an important role for data, but I think we can't let data be the thing we worry about more than the reduction, i.e. the slowing down in this analogy uh, itself. Okay, so I, I think you know data is super important and we need it to know that we're slowing down, but we've got to focus on the things that are actually going to do the reduction. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and I think the challenge today is actually the data sources most people are using are spend. So if people are trying to measure carbon at the moment, they're basically looking at how much they spend on something and they're picking out you know, the, the best data that's available. Say if I spend you know, £1,000 on a bit of technology, that that's probably got this much carbon embodied in it, right? Now, that's not to say there isn't better data out there. And I certainly know that Jess and Circular and their, and their industries are getting much, much more granular data. But at the moment, at a macro scale, that data doesn't exist. So I, I think it comes back to this common sense element. We, we, we have to start with the things that we know are going to slow us down. You know, we have to take our foot off the accelerator and actually apply it to the brake. And um, we do need to do all the other things as well. But I think the key thing to be thinking about is what what how much how much data do we really need to know that some of these things are just common sense? They just need to be done. One of my favorite things I talk about is just switching things off mm -hmm. in our buildings. We still leave sometimes even the lights and the heating on. Even when we turn those off, we often leave the networking equipment on. And think about that in the, an analogy in your own life. You wouldn't leave your car running outside because tomorrow you're going to need it. Yeah. Right? We can't. We've got. We've got to do those things. We've got to. You know, common sense is a form of data. There are things we can see and know that will reduce our reduce our carbon emissions, and we have to absolutely nail and start with those things. Let's get better and better at recording the data as we go. 100%. Is spend a good enough metric? No. Um. But, you know, we do know if we consume less stuff, we will ha have less emissions, right? We do know if we stop leaving things on, we will have less emissions. So, you know, we, we've kind of got to do both in parallel. Um, and, but we need indicators that tell us you know, we're, we're slowing down. Um, I don't know if that's helpful. No, thanks. Thanks, Anthony. Definitely helpful. I think, yeah, useful to know that, that data provides and kind of identifies opportunities for kind of monitoring progress evaluating initiatives and in informing decision making um but yeah definitely uh, useful points to touch on i guess moving to 
to kind of having both of you on this podcast today as thought leaders and, and experts in this space and how your organisations are helping and, and driving forward the net zero ambition. So turning to you first, Jess, at Circular, we recently saw that you uh, proved end-to-end traceability of SQM's lithium to Volvo cars. Um, but can you talk about any other uh, kind of initiatives or activities that Circular is involved in? Yeah, sure. And thanks for uh, highlighting the news about SQM. I think just for clarification, it wasn't so focused on the carbon emissions, but more on the due diligence requirements. So Irma is a, a renowned industry initiative and SQM received the highest rating for their lithium and their operations uh, with Irma 75. So really, the work done and the progress of, uh, between SQM and Volvo cars is ensuring that Volvo cars and their batteries are having this high quality, responsible and sustainable lithium in their batteries. Like we've talked about, these are global supply chains. So uh, having that proof of the uh, the Irma 75 lithium w- w- it was great and also an industry first. But this uh, segues nicely into the visibility side of things and talk, talking about our solution. Um, in terms of supply chain traceability and um, because what we're doing like like in the example of sqm and, and volvo cars is helping businesses to analyze track and manage their supply chains we track the physical flow of the materials as they change state uh, that's physical and kind of chemical state from raw material to final product um, and tracking that through every production step to create a reliable trustworthy chain of custody And what we're also able to do from a solutions perspective is attribute the CO2 or other ESG metrics at each of the supply chain participants and attribute that to the flow of materials so that Volvo cars, for example, know the materials uh, that the provenance of the materials that are coming into their batteries, but also the emissions that they're inheriting. Just to turn to another one of our customers, so Polestar, for example, they came out with an ambition to produce uh, net zero vehicles by 2030, which mm-hmm. is, is pretty ambitious, given some of the data that we're seeing around the manufacturing of electric, electric vehicles that we're seeing on the market today. Um, but nonetheless, they are making great progress. And that is through using you know, traceability and transparency solutions to really understand which organisations and which suppliers in their supply chain are emitting the most uh, carbon emissions and looking at ways to collectively and collaborate with them to reduce the emissions that they're inheriting. And I know we hear it a lot, um, and we talked about this a lot in the kind of decarbonisation showcase that, that you put on, but really this this data and this granular visibility is, help, is, is, is key because you can't change what you don't have visibility of or you can't manage what mm-hmm. you don't measure. We hear that a lot, right? But it really is the starting point for taking actionable insights. I think then more focused on, on, on my role in ter- terms of external affairs from a policy perspective, we're working with global uh, yeah, po- policy makers in the UK and Europe, US and, and broader to really educate them on how technology and, and the solutions available today uh, can support industry in, in, in reaching these what can sometimes be seen as scary and unachievable targets and really helping them and educating them on what's possible today. 
particularly on the battery industry, we're also involved in a number of global consortiums and projects mm -hmm. that are working towards some of the solutions to comply with the batteries regulation, which, as I mentioned, requires uh, increasingly stringent carbon footprint um, like measurements and monitoring, but also things like due diligence and recycled content um, and recycling efficiencies as well. So working with the policymakers, the research organisations, the other technology solutions available to collectively come together. And that's where we're seeing a lot of great progress, really, working with industry to provide them with the solutions. You know, back to what we talked about at the start, it really is a journey and collective action yeah. will get us there uh, the, the fastest. Thanks, Jess. Yes, definitely echo uh, it being a journey, but but really uh, great to hear of the work that Circular is doing. And Anthony, at, at Circularity First, you've had some some major success stories, uh, including kind of saving uh, Colt one million dollars uh, per year, and in, and helping organisations to embrace circular principles. Tell us more about kind of working uh, with these organisations and key lessons towards embracing kind of circularity in the sustainability agenda. Uh, of course, man. thank you. Um, yeah, so really for the last 15 years, we've helped organisations in, in two ways. So we help them at a strategic level. So this goes back to really helping organisations incorporate sustainability into their core strategy. So this is not an, an add-on or not a tick box exercise. These organisations who generally want to be sustainably led um, and helping them then embrace the energy and the passion and the resource they have within their, 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 their employee base to actually deliver um, re reductions across all sorts of different areas. But obviously carbon being a key one, you know, it, it really starts with awareness. You know, a, a lot of organisations don't have the luxury or don't spend the time to stop and actually think about where their impacts come from and understand how to how to mitigate those you know and then helping them have the confidence to set the ambition you know, still a lot of organizations out there haven't set goals they're worried they're waiting to see what's happening um so giving leadership teams the, the skills the knowledge and the confidence to actually set ambitious goals knowing that they've got a plan beneath them to actually execute it's really important um Building the accountability and the governance models inside of organisations is really important. And actually getting them all the way through to action, getting them through the sort of positive cycle. In the last year, we worked with, uh, I'm thinking of one particular client who's, who's, again, seen real meaningful bottom line impact to actually becoming more sustainable. Now, you know, there's not always going to be money to be made in becoming more sustainable, but there are definitely opportunities to do so by becoming more efficient. Um, and, then in, and, and then really... If we setting aside the sort of strategic stuff, we we operationally help customers in that space too, particularly around technology and whether that's how they extend the life of the technology they've got so they can get more out of it, whether that's adopting non-new technology. Jess was talking about remanufactured, for example, is a great opportunity for organizations to get exactly the same technology they've always used um, and much more sustainably. We, we, from our analysis, about 60 plus percent less carbon um, embedded when you adopt a remanufactured device versus a new one and typically a cost saving. Um, so there's a whole load of things you can do at an operational level that fundamentally change the dynamics, make you more sustainable, more profitable um, and generally improve your organisation. So we operate at those two levels, strategic and operationally. Um, yeah, we work with public sector organisations. Um, actually, my call later this afternoon is with the MOD. Like there's just so much low hanging fruit here if we apply some of those common sense things we talked about at the, the very beginning to, to make a big impact. And I think what we're all about is really just 
helping make sure that is common sense, helping make sure people know what these things are like, and how to, how to do them, how to practically implement them to get to a better outcome. And that's what we're all about. Thanks, uh, Anthony. Great to hear kind of the optimism uh, there and also the opportunities and, and growth prizes for both uh, the economy, but also future generations in putting us on a sustainable uh, journey. I guess just to kind of wrap this up uh, and as the final question, we've spoken about collaboration, whether that's kind of business to business between startups, SMEs, larger organisations. Do we think that more could be done to kind of promote this? Do you think organisations are doing enough and government is doing enough. Jess, if I come to you first on that kind of developing uh, that that cross-government, cross-organisation um, collaboration. Yeah, I think we can, we've discussed it throughout. I think it really is a collaborative approach and it is really a journey. So, you know, some organisation make organizations and, and countries and regions making progress is, is helpful but it needs to be all-encompassing and, and some companies and countries can make more progress than others given kind of their market leading position and I think the UK really is is one of these and um, so I would say you know continued engagement and discussions between the policy makers and industry is is helpful um, in terms of kind of the art of the possible in and achieving some of these targets but we are seeing it and progress is being is being made i think clarity on specifically what um industry is required to do by which point in time and, and how that can be achieved will help with that engagement between organizations because you know some kind of of the of the downstream companies can't do this with, without engagement with their upstream and their midstream and all of the other suppliers that are involved in their operations. Thanks, uh, Jess. Really useful points. Anthony, if I could turn to you for the, for the same question. It's a great question. I think one of the biggest challenges we face is this move from competition to collaboration. So I think we're all using the right words. Um, the behaviour change bit's a bit trickier. Because you know, most of our systems, industrial systems, profit systems, governmental systems, is it, it's still largely based on competition. You know, if we look at education, it's a little different. But even in education, there's sort of protections around. You know, someone writes a paper, people use that as reference and stuff. I think we 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 need we we there's a bit more to be done to shift this mindset from 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 competition. You know, personally, from our side, like we we quite freely give away some of these how questions you know, at the showcase we talked about like, I think you know, all we can really do is try and lead by example if, if 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 those of us who have had the fortune to have the experience to have done some of these things I think we've got to be willing to go first and share and show um, in platforms like this with Tech UK or wherever it is um, and sort of freely give away some of this knowledge and insight um, because it's quite a fundamental change to, to to how society really runs today when people are defending profit margins when and having wars over trademarks that so so i think you know uh, that's not done yet but i think that those of us who can need to need, need to show and lead the way where we can thanks anthony and exactly great to have uh, both yourselves as experts in this area on the podcast today and Tech UK will continue to, to bring uh, your voices and uh, others to the forefront.